Let's look in the Word of God right now. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 15. It's a passage we know very well. And uh, we're going to be talking about a covenant. It's a basically a relationship or a contract or a promise that God has made with himself that includes us. Right? And uh, there are two covenants I want to talk to you about that our confession of faith teaches us. And it's very important because it helps us understand how God forgives us. And it kind of ties into imputation that we talked about last week. But the first is the covenant of works, and the second is the covenant of grace. So right now, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 15, let's read from the word of God. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of God. Uh, how many of you guys, okay, ladies in the room, how many of you ladies, let's say you were, you, let's say you are single, right, and some guy came up to you, and he wanted to date you, he was interested in dating you, and, on, and you agreed to a first date, and on the first date, he says, I love you, and I'm going to marry you. What would you say? How many of you guys would say, I love you back? Just raise your hands. <laughs> okay. How many of you guys would say, thank you? <laughs> no one? Okay. How many of you guys would say something else? How many of you guys would just run away? <laughs> um, so that's what I did with Sophia. I dated her. <laughs> so I met her at church because she came to church. And when she walked in, I was like, oh my goodness, God is so good. <laughs> you know? And uh, I was like, I gotta ask this girl out. And I did. And she agreed. She's like, I was like, do you wanna do you wanna have dinner on Friday? On Friday night. And she was like, sure, I'll have dinner. I was like, cool. But inside, I was like, oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> right? So Friday came, 
we had dinner at this Italian place in, Green, in Greenville, South Carolina, which is now closed. I don't know why. <laughs> Doesn't really help me feel good about you know that day. But I took her up to Paris Mountain before the sunset, and I made a I made a PowerPoint for her. <laughs> and in the PowerPoint, I made a poem. I, don't, I honestly don't know where it is. Yeah, I probably do, but I don't know. I don't want to know where it is. And in the background, I made it so that with the transition of the text, I had Andrea Bocelli playing in the background. And it was awesome. It was the best PowerPoint I've ever made. Um, and the reason I did that, and then right after Andrea Bocelli stopped singing to the PowerPoint, I was like, so, I love you, and I want to marry you, right? Now, how many of you guys are cringing right now? Oh, many, yeah. yeah you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> so she said, thank you. Oh, thank you. Right? And then we went down from the mountain, and then she, I took her home, and I went home. And I was, I was happy. Um, well, you know how the story ended, right? We got married, right? Um, the reason I did that, as foolish as it was, and, you know, it's a testament to the grace of God, you know, the fact that I'm married to Sophia right now, even though I took that very cringeworthy and awkward and really wrong approach, is that, you know, God just, he had compassion on me. He knew, you know, he knew me. <laughs> he knew how awkward I was, and he, he was like, I'll, 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 I'll give you some help, take, right? So, um... Uh, so Sophia eventually she uh, said I love you back um, but the whole reason I'm telling you this is that the reason I took that approach was because I believed in, an, in the covenant and if you look in the Bible God basically swore to himself saying I will love you and I will save you and basically people, us, we didn't really have a choice in that matter <laughs> He basically said, I, will, I choose to love you, and I will choose to save you, because I know you will fall, and you will sin, and you will forget about me, but don't worry, because I will make it happen. One day, you will love me in return, all right? I believed in a covenant, and when you look at this passage that we just read, what you see the fall is the failed covenant of works. And it's called the covenant of works because God basically presented a set of rules in the garden. It was do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. That was the law. The other one he said was be fruitful and multiply. And they definitely did that. But... This covenant of works is called the covenant of works because God said, as long as you keep this law, you will be blessed. But on the day that you disobey it, you will bring a curse upon yourself. You will surely die. And that curse was very severe. It's, it's an eternal curse, right? And the covenant of works didn't work out, because, not because God was weak and not because the law was unfair, it was tremendously 
Well, in one sense, it was positively unfair. It was unfair not to Adam and Eve. It was unfair to God. Because God gave them everything. He gave them everything in the Garden of Eden. They, they can eat from any tree except for one tree. And of course, human nature, even though at the time it was sinless and perfect, it still wanted that one tree that was forbidden. Right? Covenant of works. The idea of hearing is very important in the covenant. In, in a covenant, communication is the mode of, making the, of establishing the covenant. Right? Without communication, there is no covenant. Right? You need communication. And so in communication, you take a communication class in college, everyone will tell you, oh, you couldn't ask any lady that you're in a relationship with, right? And they will say how important it is for you to listen and to hear what they're saying. Isn't that true? Right? Hey guys, you know, you're on your phone and the girl's trying to talk to you. The girl's trying to talk to you. What happens? Man, I love how you, every time I try to talk to you, you're on your phone. I love that. No, you don't get that. You're like, can you put down your phone? It's, I see very stoic, plain faces right now. Is that not true? Is that only true for my life? <laughs> right? I'm at a restaurant. I'm like texting one of you guys or I'm emailing someone. And Sophia's, and by the time I'm done, I'm like, you know, you hear that send, you know, that send sound. And the email's whoosh, right? Or whatever. And then I look up, and I see Sophia, like, just giving me the death look. I'm like, what? It just, the food's not even here yet. It's not a big deal, right? I mean, I mean, okay, so, I mean, you know, maybe I'm not, I hope I'm not the only one. But communication is very important, and hearing is very important. In the covenant that God has established with man, hearing is very important. If you look at the first verse, and they heard the sound of the Lord, right? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now, it should be joy. It should be running to him, just eagerly wanting to see him. But because of sin, because they failed to live up to the covenant of works, they've eaten from the tree that they shouldn't have. And they failed, they disobeyed the covenant of works that God established. He had one rule, one tree you couldn't eat from. That's the one that they failed at. They heard God's message. They disobeyed. Now they're hearing his traveling through the garden, right? And now what are they doing? They're hiding. They're hiding. And it's interesting how hearing, knowing the presence of God by hearing what he says or how he moves, depending on how your relationship with God is, you will either run to him or you will hide from him, right? Look at Genesis 3, verse 2 to 3. It says, God said, right, again, if he says something, someone is definitely hearing it, right? You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Right? This is Eve repeating it to the serpent. Because the serpent's like, did God actually say? See, the serpent knows how important hearing is. Right? And so the serpent is basically saying, let's check your hearing. Did God actually say this? 
right? And then Eve responds, but God said, right, blah, 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 but she adds something. She says, you shall not eat of the tree, fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. She adds, neither shall you touch it. Neither shall you touch it, right? And then the serpent goes off on the hearing, the importance of hearing and communication again. In Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5, he says, you will not surely die. No way. God told you wrong. You heard wrong, right? Either way, it doesn't matter whether God said it, whether God told you wrong, or whether you heard it wrong. It really doesn't matter, right? The fact is, God is wrong. And this is the truth. And you see, what did Satan attack? He didn't sit down with Adam and Eve and make some kind of argument about how bad God's character is. He does that later, but he didn't start with that. He doesn't say anything else. What he goes for is the hearing of God's word. He attacks that. He challenges it. Not only does he challenge it, he causes you to try to not really remember it accurately. Right? That's what he attacks. When you come into Deuteronomy, again, hearing becomes very important. The Lord spoke to you, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 12. The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant. Did you, did you guys just hear that? He declared to you his covenant. God uses, again, the mode of hearing right, to communicate his relationship with his people at the burning bush. So he's talking about all of that, right? Romans, let's go into the New Testament. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from what? You guys know this verse. So faith comes from hearing. But that's not it. That's not all of it, at least. And hearing through the what? Word of Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Not only is hearing the word of God important, hearing the word of God is important. Meaning, it's not just about being open and listening to any form of teaching or doctrine that you have access to or that you're exposed to, but specifically hearing God's words and not anyone else's, which is very important. That's how faith comes, right? In John chapter 10, verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not among my... Jesus is addressing some of the Jews. The Jews are basically saying, are you, are you the son of God or not? Are you the Messiah or not? Tell us, right? And the thing is, Jesus knew their hearts. He knew they didn't really believe. He just wanted... He knew that they just wanted to hear him say that so that they can accuse him and crucify him, right? So he goes, but you don't believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. You hear that? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. See, when you're part of God's fold, when you're part of his people, you listen to him. 
you hear his voice, you recognize his voice. I thought I recognized June's voice, <laughs> but it was Matthew's. I am not Matthew's sheep <laughs> or June's sheep. You see, but when you're part of God's sheep, you recognize his voice. When your parents call you and you don't look at the number and you pick up the phone and you hear their voice, you know it's them, right? When you're in a store and they've called you, right, as a child, you know it's them, right? You're sh my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now, in the covenant of works, when the people failed that covenant, right, because it was based upon their works, they hid from God's presence. They had fear because of their sin. Right? And so God approaches Adam, and he addresses Adam first. He says, where are you, Adam? Where are you? Is God asking that because he doesn't know? He's asking that to try them. This is, this is the trial now. God is the judge. They're guilty. And he's trying to see, are you willing... Are you willing to own up to your sin before me, right? I made you. I created you. I know where you are. I know what you did already. But I'm going to ask you this question, not because I don't know, but because I want you to know who you are. I want to teach you something. So God says, where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And then God follows up with two questions. Who told you that you were naked? Because before they sinned, they didn't know they were naked, right? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, so Adam responds, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So what does he do? He says, the woman that you gave me, God, she made me do this. This is not my fault. She made me do this, and, you know, technically, if she made me do this, then you made me do this, too, because you made her. So it's your fault, and it's her fault, but it's definitely not my fault. That's what's happening here. You see, this is what happens with the covenant of works when you fail it. This is the depravity and the sinfulness of our human nature, right? This is really important. Their response is really important to remember when we talk about the covenant of grace that we're in. And to the woman, God says, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I, again, saying, it's the serpent's fault, not my fault, right? Now, ever since that moment that we just read and that we're talking about, the covenant of works has been done away with. And from that moment in the Garden of Eden, God started a new covenant, the covenant of grace. And the difference is that God is now, he, he requires the same thing. He requires obedience to the law, perfect obedience. But in the covenant of grace, when we fail, he has sent a son to fulfill that law that we failed in obeying. And God, we talked, we talked about this last week, he imputed our sin to Jesus Christ, and he imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us. 
That is the covenant of grace. In the covenant of works in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve didn't have that. They didn't have some alien foreign righteousness of Christ be basically God regard them as righteous because Jesus Christ lived a righteous life, right? In the covenant of grace, that's what's happening. You know when I said it's really important how Adam and Eve reacted? They said it's not my fault, but someone else's fault? You know, in the covenant of grace, it's the opposite. What Christ does is, I know they sin, but I will bear it as if it's my fault. And I know they didn't live a perfect life, but I will give them my righteousness as if it is theirs. You see, it's completely backward. Right? But it's the most glorious thing ever. And that's the covenant of grace. And that's where we are in if you believe in Jesus Christ. And that's how God sees you. He sees you as this perfect child. You know, in education, sometimes parents make a big deal of their children. Even when they do something wrong in the classroom, they come into the classroom, you know, ready to fight the teacher, <laughs> right? And the parent's like, my child is an angel. He or she doesn't do anything wrong, right? The thing is, if you really think about who we are in Christ, yeah, even, even the child that you love. I have a three-year-old daughter, right? Even her. I know she's a sinner. And I'm praying that one day God will change her heart so that she will repent of her sins and come to a, a saving trust in Jesus Christ one day. Right? I love her. And she's beautiful to me. But she's also a sinner. And without Christ, she has no hope in this world. Right? In the covenant of grace, it's not this pretending as if we're good people and then getting surprised when these good people that we're pretending fail us and disappoint us and we're like, what's wrong with you? You're so messed up. This is not how you're supposed to be. When in one sense you're right, it's not. And one day God will make us all free from sin so that we will no longer fall and fail and disobey God. But that day is not yet here. And if you understand the covenant of grace, that it is a time that God has put in place where we are living, not pretending, but actually the righteousness of Christ is ours. We own it because he gave it to us and we received it by his grace and by faith, right? It's ours. You know, the way that you understand yourself and the way that you will begin to treat people will change if you understand that, right? And so in the latter part of this passage, there is a promise for that covenant of grace because the covenant of works has now failed. Because Adam and Eve, who was supposed to uphold it, they disobey God and they failed. But then God doesn't stop there. He has a promise for them in verse 15. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right? And this is the first 
message of the gospel in the Bible. This is the gospel, right? And some people say it's the proto-evangelion, right? The first good news, right? He shall bruise your head, meaning Christ will completely crush the head of Satan. How do you kill a snake? Can you kill a snake by cutting off its tail? No. You got to get the head. You got to crush that head. <laughs> it's kind of graphic, but that's what the Bible is telling us. That's when Christ bruises the head of Satan, what's happening is he has completely destroyed Satan so that Satan can never come back. So that his power and his reign and his influence can never come back. And when it says, you shall bruise his heel, it means that Christ will not come away from the battle without scars. He will have scars. And Christ did have scars. And he showed them to Thomas. He said, look at my scars and believe. Right? And if you look in Hebrews, or I'm sorry, Romans 16, verse 20. In the New so that's in the Old Testament. The first gospel message is given. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. When you come to Paul's writings in Romans 16, verse 20, Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Right? What a promise of hope. Right? He will soon crush Satan, the God of peace, will soon crush Satan under your feet. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, right, Christ, likewise partook of the same things. The children referring to hum humanity, human beings. So human beings are flesh and blood. We all share flesh and blood. And it says, and, and the author of Hebrews is saying, he himself, Christ himself, also, he took on flesh and blood. He likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. He completely crushed it. Right? That's why when you're, the way that you can tell whether you really understand what Christ did for you on the cross and whether that is transforming how you feel, how you think, and how you treat people is when someone sins against you, do you feel like there's no hope for them? When someone sins against you, is it over completely? You cut, you burn bridges and you cut ties and you feel like you categorize them, you put them into a box and you can't see them otherwise. Or if they are confessing believers, do you see them as people who will sin, who will fall, not only this time, but many times? You know, the disciples asked Jesus, if someone sins against us, how many times should we forgive them? Seven times? Right? And Jesus says, send these times seven. Don't do the math, because the math is not the point. Jesus is saying, as much as they sin, you must forgive them. And you see, that is a proper understanding of the covenant of grace. Because when you see people, and when you see yourself, you refuse to treat them as if there is no Christ. So what you're doing, essentially, is you're saying that whatever Christ did and whatever he sacrificed on the cross is too useless and weak for me to consider. Because right now, this person's sin and offense against me is so 
strong and so important to me that Christ, whatever he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, the amount he suffered, the loneliness, the abandonment by the Father, that's just, that's not important enough. My pain is what's really important, and I can't forgive that. Are you kidding me? The Son of God left his glory in heaven. He came down, established the covenant, fulfilled the covenant of grace, and he forgave that person. And you're telling me, you also sharing in the same blood that washes your sin away as much as that same blood of Christ washes that person's sin away. You're telling me that that blood cannot wash that person's sin away. And even if it does, you don't care. Because that offense, you can't let go. See, when you understand a covenant of grace, it breaks you. You know why it breaks you? Because you can't understand why a God so holy and so righteous would forgive someone like you who is so unforgiving to people who offend us, to offend me. And not only that, it breaks you because it hurts like crazy to forgive someone, to really forgive someone. It hurts like crazy. I mean, there's a lot of internal anxiety and pain that you have to go through in order to meet that person, to work yourself up in prayer and in the Word of God, reminding yourself of God's Word instead of reminding yourself of what you feel like doing to that person and approaching that person finally and being like, you are my brother, you are my sister, you are a child of God, I'm a child of God. And there's no division that we could ever create in this life that can ever undo the unity that Christ has once for all accomplished for us on the cross. And that is what a proper understanding of a covenant of works and a covenant of grace does to a Christian. And you see, we begin to abandon any form where we will just go along with the way that the world lives. Sometimes Christians, you know, starting with myself, it's hard to follow a covenant of grace, to live a life that understands the covenant of grace, because it's so easy to treat people the way the world treats everybody. It's so easy. Because the covenant of works, the way to treat people like that is so satisfying to us, because why? And this is the same sin that Adam and Eve fell into. You're saying, you know, sometimes you're like, it's not fair that God imputes the sin of Adam and Eve upon us and holds us responsible for something that we never did. We never did. You know what? What was ultimately, if you were to summarize the sin of Adam and Eve, what was it that they did wrong? You know, it's not about the eating of the tree. That's all part of it. But the main point is that they wanted to be like God. In other words, they wanted to be God. And they wanted to dethrone God. And when we refuse to treat people with an understanding of the covenant of grace, knowing that God sent his son who forgave people of their sin, and through his grace, he will carry these imperfect, sinful creatures Right, stumbling through their sin through life, hopefully being more sanctified as the years pass, that one day they will be in perfect fellowship with them, 
You know, when we refuse to treat people under the covenant of grace and say, you know, Christ forgave you, and technically, in the Bi- according to the Bible, you should be under the covenant of grace, but because I feel so hateful against what you did, I'm going to treat you like if you're under the covenant of works, where you have no Christ, no hope, and you should just die for what you did. And you should just be punished. And there should be no redemption. There should be no restoration. You know what you're doing? And I love you guys. And I, I say this with emotion because this is the same emotion I have when I think about sometimes when I'm, when I'm not in, in the word of God and I'm not humbling myself in prayer and I'm, I want to be God. I want to call the shots. I want to say, Yes, Christ has gave up, given up his life for that person, but because of my pain and because it's hard for me to forgive that person, I want to be God and I want to say, you're still under the covenant of works. You should be punished and that should be the end of the story. You should have no redemption. The same sin that Adam and Eve had done thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden is the same thing that all human beings are struggling with in 2018. You got to know there's something wrong with that. We can't tolerate that anymore. Not in our congregation, not in our church. If we are really going to be a church that says we're pursuing happiness in Christ together, we have to get rid of that stuff. That kind of culture doesn't belong here. We are not under the covenant of works where punishment is the end of the story. We are under the covenant of grace. And if this theology is just cerebral to you, then you're not hearing God the way he wants you to hear him. Not completely. Hearing. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. By the word of Christ. So I challenge you. If you are under the covenant of grace, and if you have a Savior that has given up his life for your sins, then I beg you, I beseech you, treat people who confess the same Lord, the same faith, the same mercy, treat them as people under covenant of grace and stop reverting back to the covenant of works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you your grace. You love us, even though we deserve punishment. We, we deserve wrath. God, forgive us. As Christ has loved us, God, so give us grace, the humility, and the courage to trust you to treat one another confess that they're saved by the blood, by the same blood that we're saved with, to treat them as people who are under the covenant of grace. So God, 
change us, break us, crush our idols, shatter them into dust, and let us be a generation that defies the temptation to have these idols, these hidden away in our lives. Lord, give us courage to come out from the darkness and to surrender our lives to your light. So lead us and encourage us and remind us that you will give us the grace and the strength do everything that you command us and will us to do. So we pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please arise.